the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who was the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives, spirit, gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The Gospel of the Lord. Hey, welcome again to One Fellowship. My name's Drew, and I'm the pastor of discipleship. And it's a real joy to be able to open up this passage with you today. When I was studying for this, it made me think back to college. I started working this job because I wanted to be able to take Laura out on dates. And so I searched and I found this landscaping position with this amazing older couple named the Kleins. And they own several properties in a town nearby. And so I applied for this position. I told them I had experience because I had mowed a lawn before and because I had worked for my brother a little bit, putting plants in the ground. And so absolutely, I'm qualified to do your landscaping. I remember one of the first days they asked me to trim back these shrubs at one of the properties. There were these amazing, beautiful shrubs that lined the front of the home. And so they gave me all the tools necessary and I got to it. I started trimming back these shrubs and a few hours later, they came back and you could see the absolute horror on their face. Because when I heard trim back the shrubs, what I believed that meant was to take all of the foliage off the shrubs, to get it all the way back to just limbs. And that is absolutely not what they meant. They simply wanted me to shape these shrubs, not destroy them. I realized that day that I had a complete misunderstanding of many things, but not only of what they meant, but of what it took to really do landscaping. What does that have to do with today? Well, we're going to see a theme that comes up in this passage, one that's been so misunderstood and manipulated in the church that we've completely misunderstood it in a lot of ways. It's one that when we hear it, we immediately start to push back. It's this theme of submission. And it can be incredibly challenging to believe that submission could actually be a good thing. 
We've unfortunately oversimplified it to mean don't sin, follow the rules, something that's misused when we talk about relationships, specifically marriage, to set up sort of a hierarchy of one person getting their way and the other person doing what they're told. And that's not what submission, the purpose of it at all. In fact, that's a complete distortion. Personally, I really struggle with this concept and living a submitted life. As I've been studying this passage this week, I believe God wants to do what he always wants to do. He wants to bring clarity to what we don't understand or what we've misunderstood, and he wants to show us his heart. He wants to redefine terms, and he wants to do work not only on our minds, but much deeper. Because when we understand what submission is and what it's really about, it really does change everything. So before we get into our passage today, let me pray for us one more time, and then we'll dive in. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for being the word and the truth. I pray today for all of us that we would have clarity on this big theme that pops up throughout the Bible, God, this idea of submission and that what reservations we have, would you bring that clarity? Would you redefine things for us? Would you show us your love in the midst of this discipline? God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your heart toward us. Jesus, thank you for giving yourself for us. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would lead us during this time now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's dive into this passage. We're going to be in John chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 22. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. So let's set up this scene real quick. John the Baptist has been calling people to repent, to come to belief in Christ. He's been baptizing them, not for his own good, but as he says in Matthew chapter three, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John the Baptist is clearly speaking about Jesus. And now Jesus starts his ministry with his disciples and he's also baptizing nearby. Here's what verse 25 says. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to him you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. So John's disciples show us exactly why submission is so difficult. Here's why. We want our way. They didn't want other people going to Jesus and his disciples. They wanted people to come to them and to John. As Richard Foster says in the book, Celebration of Discipline, the obsession to demand that things go the way we want them to go is one of the greatest bondages in human society today. Think about how you feel when something doesn't go the way that you want it. Maybe feelings of anger, feelings of frustration, feelings of bitterness, We spend so much of our lives in a place of unhealthy tension or distraction because something didn't go the way that we hoped it would. We can even allow these things to become the focus of our lives if we aren't careful. Always holding on, never letting go. 
We can allow the desire to become the demand that now consumes us. And think about the effects here. There's relational stress, there's spiritual stress, there's even physical stress and sickness that comes with this. In marriage, we want our spouse to go along with our plans, to act certain ways that we find pleasing. And if this doesn't happen, if they don't live up to our way of being or give us what we want, we respond in frustration or we retreat. We get distracted in our relationships, so focused on getting what we want that we negate connection with, connections with others or maybe physically present, but we're mentally and emotionally checked out. With God, when we don't get our way, when we have to wait or we have to go without, we get angry. We question his goodness. We doubt his love for us, believing the lie that being good means giving me what I want when I want it. We feel the effects even on our body. We get ulcers caused by stressing out about what we want and don't have. We get anxiety and it rises and rises. Our mind is in a constant state of tension. We get headaches. We lose our appetite. We feel exhausted. I'm sure you've experienced this before. I know that I have and I do. We become more obsessed with things going the way that we want than we will ever fully realize or comprehend. And the harmful effects of this desire running on repeat in our lives and in our relationships, it's immeasurable. And this is why these next verses are so important to hear and allow to really sink in. Because we see that God's heart for submission is for the purpose of freeing us. This brings our big idea for today. Check this out. The submitting our life to Christ doesn't bind us, it frees us. Look at these verses. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. What John wants to make incredibly clear here to his disciples is that the reason that they're seeing so many people go to Jesus is because God has given him authority and is clearly at work in Jesus' ministry. John also senses that his disciples have lost sight of what their ministry, and even bigger than that, their life is really about. In essence, he's saying, hey guys, remember I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Jesus. I'm not the one to be worshiped. The work that we've been doing here is for him and to point people to him. Do you ever find yourself in a similar place where we center a season of our lives on something or someone that we probably know or sense isn't right? It's not healthy. It isn't what our life is really about. And let me just speak to Christians right now. We know that even at a very basic level that Jesus hasn't called us to himself just to release us to live for something or someone else. In fact, he's done quite the opposite. He's called us to deny ourselves and follow him. Laura and I took a vacation many years ago with some friends to Florida and we went to a putt-putt course, and I had no idea, but it was a really interesting putt-putt course because they also had live alligators there. Great combination, right? Kids, golf, and live alligators right below this bridge. 
And I remember one of the workers sharing with us this reality because people could toss food in and they could feed the alligators. And, and he said this, he said that all of these alligators will instinctively bite whenever something is in front of them, whenever it's close to their mouths, they give it no thought at all. When we hear the words deny ourselves, we often respond in the same way. We immediately push back against this idea without much thought at all. We place a heavy value on self-fulfillment and self-actualization, but not self-denial. What is it about this that we dislike so much? Self-denial. I think it's because we believe that self-denial means the rejection of who we are as individuals and that we'll lose our identity or at least a part of our identity and that this essentially looks like giving up happiness and joy, something that we all desire. When in reality, self-denial is defined throughout the Bible is the only thing that will bring true self-fulfillment and self-actualization. Let me explain here that in practicing self-denial and submission to Jesus, we come to understand that we don't have to have our own way and that our happiness and joy doesn't rest on getting only what we want when we want it. Look at the metaphor John uses next, and this will start to come together in a really beautiful and freeing way. He says in verse 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist, from the very beginning, placed his life and his desires under the rule and reign of the God that he loved. This wasn't some outward change only. That's not what true submission is. It's not outwardly following while inwardly rebelling. No, his heart and his spirit have been dramatically altered by God to the extent that he realizes the purpose of his life is to point others to the life of Jesus. And as the friend of the bridegroom, in this metaphor that John uses, you can either be jealous at what the bridegroom has, or you can celebrate the bridegroom and rejoice for and with him. In living a life of submission to Christ, John has a solid grasp on the purpose of his life, self-actualization. To love and serve others as Christ has loved and served him. And his joy is complete, self-fulfillment. In seeing the bride, the church, united with the groom, Jesus. Submitting to God also means submitting one another. You know, this is really the heartbeat of Jesus' ministry, not to be served, but to serve. I love what Richard Foster also says in this same book, that Jesus not only died across death, but he lived across life. To literally submit his life to others for their good. And this is what he invites us into, that we can finally be freed to value others that their dreams are important to us, that we celebrate their wins, that we feel genuine sorrow when they fail and fall, 
that we're able to love our neighbor far better because it's no longer about me getting what I want, but trying to love and serve them well. That for the first time, we can actually love others unconditionally because we aren't beginning with the need to be shown love in return. Why live a life of submission to Christ? Look at these last verses. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This changes everything. What John speaks of here, this reality of decreasing so that Christ increases, isn't about losing our identity. It's about living in our true identity. That we're no longer pointing people to ourselves, but redirecting the focus on to Jesus. The only one who has the power to change lives, the one who is above all, the one who God has placed power into his hand, the one who has the power to transform marriages, relationships, to bulldoze sin, to grant eternal life. And as we see in this very last verse, to keep us from the wrath that God has already poured out on Jesus. There's no other way. Submission. But submission that actually leads to freedom. Submission that actually leads to us unclenching our fists. Submission that leads to a life in Jesus that's completely unmatched. It's time to redefine terms. It's time to redefine what we believe or what we thought we've understood about submission and instead of pushing back at it, to embrace it and to see it as love that God has shown us and protection that he's inviting us into. So how do we practice this? A few simple things. First, we understand the purpose, that the purpose is freedom, not taking what's good away from us. Secondly, we submit our lives to Jesus that the word of God living into his scripture, the word that he's written, we place ourselves ultimately underneath his authority to lead and guide us. That we not only see him as savior, but of Lord. We understand that it isn't about simply the outward act, but it's about the inward heart. Meaning we need to spend real legitimate time with God, listening, asking, reflecting on the state of our heart asking him to show us areas that need to be confessed, repented, dealt with. It means that we draw close to the spirit daily, that we start our day not asking what we need to get out of it, but asking God how he wants to use us to love and serve those in front of us. This is the new mindset of a new heart in Christ. It means that we invite others into our life, into our story, into our successes and our failures, and we give them the freedom to share what they see. 
and it means that we rest on the finished work of the cross, believing that through Jesus laying down his life, submitting to the Father's will, and submitting to humanity's service, we don't have to get our way or be consumed when we don't, because this is not what our life is about. And we know that our identity is secure in Christ. When we redefine submission, we finally start to understand that submitting our life to Christ doesn't bind us, it frees us. And it frees us to live. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you that we can place our lives under your authority, under your lordship, and that, Jesus, you have promised to lead us, to guide us, to direct us for your glory, for our good. God, that we don't need to go it alone, that we can hand our life over to you just as you handed your life over for us. So God, for anyone that might not have a relationship with you because they've been pushing back from the table this idea of submitting, this idea of coming under your authority, God, would you release them from that today? Would they give their life to you, all of it, knowing that you offer them and give them new life? And God, for your church, would we be a people who submit ourselves to you because when we do that, you will direct us toward others to love and care for others well, just as you love and care for us. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love, your kindness, your grace, and your mercy. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.